You're listening to Grace and Fire, brought to you by Emerging Women. Today my guest is Alanis Morissette. Alanis is a Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter, guitarist, record producer, actress, and general badass who has sold more than 60 million albums worldwide. Her first album, Jagged Little Pill, still holds the record for the highest-selling debut album by a woman. She has been involved with a nonprofit organization called Reverb, a group that helps artists green their tours. And she was honored with the EMA Missions in Music Award for her efforts in speaking out against the drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Alanis has been acting on her strong belief for years and encourages her fans and listeners to do the same. Alanis will be a keynote speaker at the 2013 Emerging Women Live Conference on October 10th to the 13th in Boulder, Colorado. In today's episode, Alanis and I spoke about vulnerability, strength and femininity, and balancing the yin-yang or masculine and feminine essences, the effect of success on the creative process, how anger can actually build intimacy in relationship. And finally, Alanis gives her one piece of advice for women who are on the precipice of their own emergence. Here is my conversation, creative intimacy, and the merging of yin and yang with the amazing and talented Alanis Morissette. Okay, welcome, Alanis. Thank you for having me. This is such an honor. I just want to lay all my cards out on the table here and uh, let (laughs) you know. (laughs) Well, I'm feeling a little starstruck, and um, and I'm usually um, a, a pretty cool cat. I can hold my own, but at this point, I'm feeling like incredibly vulnerable and. Yeah, I just really you've had such an impact on my life, especially as a, as a young woman. And I just, uh, I just want to get it out there and, um, and let you know that. And I know I think I'm speaking for every one of our listeners that were born in this time or actually that were influenced by Jagged Little Pill and your other albums. And I want to get into that a little bit, your new album. But so there it is. It's out on the table. So if I fumble. <laughs> and you're still alive and, and you're still safe and I, everything's still okay. <laughs> I'm still okay. That's right. It's, um, so, so sweet. Thank you. Well, I thought I'd try and level the playing field a little bit and go in uh, super deep on our first question and hopefully oh, that'll yeah, be okay. Go for the, yeah, go for the <laughs> okay. regular. I, I live for that. <laughs> I know. Great. Okay. So with regards to vulnerability... When do you feel the most vulnerable? When do you feel the most naked? Um, I feel the most vulnerable with my husband, probably. Mm. Uh, I'm a big Imago, Harville Hendrix, Helen the Kelly Hunt, Imago hmm. therapy model fan. So I just really see that the, you know, the, the, the degree of commitment and intimacy is commensurate to the degree of healing available. So... 
for me, there's no bigger commitment than marriage. Definitely motherhood, too, is, is, a, is a near second um, for obvious reasons. But the, the commitment of marriage is, is really vulnerable and really, you know, intentional. So there's the great vulnerability of, you know, us coming together in that, that three-phase process in theory. So it's the infatuation that brings us together, all the chemistry and the animal stuff. And then there's that disillusionment that turns into that power struggle and conflict. And in theory, that we could segue into this third phase where we actually help heal each other's wounds and pull us, you know, pull each other out of the survival strategies that helped us survive as kids into this wholeness, you know. So that's that's the theory of it. And so now I'm actually experiencing it in practice, which, you know, is incredibly vulnerable. Um, and then also there's a whole other chapter around my deepening my vulnerability with my girlfriends, you know, and just letting intimacy be the terrorizing thing that it can be, but also the beautifully healing thing that it can be. And, and there was a great quote the other day my friend said. She said, the soul is shy. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's such a sweet way of putting it. Mm-hmm. So those two worlds are, are the most vulnerable for me, friendship and marriage. Right. Oh, there's so much there. So I want to start digging into that relationship piece. Mm. And, um, you know, we... As emerging women in this whole emerging women movement, there's uh, a lot of strong feminine energy. The whole feminine is being, I don't know if it's being reinvented or I like to think it's actually just actualizing itself in the biggest way possible right now during this time. Yeah, I think the word resurrected is a resonant one for me. It's sort of resurrecting the divine feminine in both both genders, males and females alike, and I know in talking with people, sometimes people are a little off-put by the whole idea of masculine and feminine. So my twin brother and I have been using the term yin and yang, you know. So the yin right. is really is really re-emerging in a way, you know. Because um, certainly there's a lot of us women that have masculinized in a disempowered way according to what the standard was for us. We sort of adopted that approach in order to quote-unquote succeed in the Western world, which has now become the planet, right? Right, So. Yes. I'm raising so my adopted, hand. <laughs> we adopted this, and and you know, it, it maybe it, maybe it created some sort of pseudo version of empowerment, I suppose, on some level, or some some proof of competence, maybe. Mm-hmm. But it didn't afford connection and love and intimacy and healing, really, at all. Right. But it was another, it, it was incomplete, to say the least. Right. Yes. And this is this is the opportunity, I think, especially with well, we're all strong women, but you in particular holding a very distinctive balance of power and strength, but incredibly feminine energy. That's what I see in your music and just you as a person. Um, my, My question of that is how does that play out, especially since you are super strong and powerful and you have that balance of masculine and feminine, how does that play out in your relationship, or is it yin-yang, or whatever you want to use, how does that, um, do you feel like it's manifesting in a certain way that you have to negotiate, or is your husband hip to the whole thing, and <laughs> it's not a, it's not a conflict? Yeah, no, I mean, this is a big conversation, right, because it's yeah. 2013, there was the old way of things, which is men would provide and protect and it was, you know, the continuation of the proprietary continuation of the name on an ego level, uh, the last name, family name. And then, you know, women were to tend the hearth and they were, well, the hunters and gatherers, the males kind of went out and, 
got the animals, brought them back. We sort of took care of the children, and it was very clear and 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 clean for us. And then it, it segued into men going to war and women having to step up and prove that we were competent, which is a bit of a no-brainer. Of course, we can, quote-unquote, do everything a man can do, and, and you know, the, whole, the whole impetus was to prove that we can do it better, which I didn't totally understand. Um, and then it segued into this great competence proving and this autonomy but it, like I said it, it you know it, it forewent the whole idea of deep connection and healing because there is this idea that post-patriarchy pain um, you know that we would segue into this matriarchy rising but ultimately it's the union that I think all of us are looking for right that would be the most healing within the genders while leaving room for our physiology and our biology and our neurobiology you know, we are born a certain gender and, and that predisposes us to hormones and all of the, you know, the testosterone coming from different places in our body. And so to take into account all of these aspects, to take into account where we've evolved to um, in the gender conversation, I just think what's happening now is this invitation into androgyny, but also just the allowance of the continuum to be what it is. So some of us err on the side temperamentally and otherwise, um, you know, in, into more of a feminine yin side, and some of us err on the side of a more masculine alpha side. And, you know, in, in my particular marriage, I think my husband, Soli, and I both have, <clears throat> we have the capacity to do both. I think we're also very intentional. Um, my husband, without, you know, without speaking out of school, was brought up in a, a slightly unconventional way where his father participated in more of a way than that generation typically has. Or, or used to, so mm. so mm-hmm. there was no conflict for him around um, a male participating and contributing with a different form of currency in terms of their provision. Mm-hmm. So so that was that was really helpful for me. I, I you know I, I hate to be the categorizing woman because it can be violent at times, but in some ways it actually helps. So I think there's three kinds of interactions I've had with men. One where men in general had a great ambivalence, to put it lightly, toward the feminine and and really were angry and there was some hostility around, you know, their relationship with the feminine, whether it was born from their mom or otherwise. Then there's the secondary, the second kind of category where, you know, there's some great healing that's been done, whether it be through therapy or through, their sisters or friends or, or partnerships, um, you know, that second category. And then the third category is actually this, this, this new divine masculine, in my mind, who doesn't really have an ambivalence around the feminine, in fact, quite the opposite, where they actually really want to embrace and support and catapult the feminine. So, you know, I, I hovered around the, the first and second version for many years, and it was really painful for me, as you can imagine, and, and I really don't feel alone in that. I feel like that was where our culture was moving, you know. Mm-hmm. And then now it's kind of segueing into this place for me where I'm seeing what's possible when the feminine is supported in both my husband and myself, mm-hmm. and what that might look like is embracing feelings, and, and, and our whole vernacular is around, you know, feelings and empowerment and expressedness and our essential selves being made evident through our career choices and our Mm -hmm. vocational following and all of that. So Mm -hmm. it's really, really an exciting time to be alive, in my opinion. (laughs) Um, It's a very gentle, nurturing time to be alive and a very healing time. Yeah, I feel like the whole world has been over-masculinized, and it's not to mean that 
it wasn't a good thing when it was happening in certain parts of the world, but it's definitely time. And I like the fact that you're calling it a resurrection because it wasn't always like this. Yeah. And, it, and I think it's an important distinction to be made around empowered masculine and disempowered masculine, yeah. and feminine and disempowered feminine, because masculine in and of itself, you know, gorgeous qualities and my life would not be what it is without my having really embraced the, the masculine qualities or, or the yang qualities. So, yeah. But I think the disempowered masculine is is a sad state of affairs, as is the disempowered feminine. You know, yes. they're they're both not actually in reality about <clears throat> about the highest version of what both those qualities can can embody. You know, exactly. What do you feel? And we're going to just take a little bit of a turn here, but it'll weave in. When you, as as this applies to creativity, your first album. Jagged Little Pill was so huge. I still cannot believe that it's the highest selling debut album ever by a woman. That statistic is still valid. It's just mind blowing. It just blows me away. And, you know, not that surprising because it's unbelievably rocking. Um, (laughs) How does that affect your creative process to have such a big success so early on? And how is that relationship, I, I know that you started with such fire, at coming out of the gates with such fire and such power. And, and then I'm just curious, as you've gone on in your career, you've, um, you still have the same depth, but you've become a mom, you're in this deep, deep relationship with your husband. And have you, quote, mellowed out since then? Or, or has there been an effect by having such a big fire so early on in your life? Well, I think the fire is still there. It changes forms uh, in a positive way, I think. If I was still reactively singing and responding to things that I was reacting to when I was 19, that would be a little scary in terms of non-evolution on my part. So I'm, I'm you know, if I can be proud at all, it would be that, that, that the fire is still there, but it takes a different form. So, mm-hmm. um, so I'm, I think it takes the form of passion, certainly um and the reactivity was more the the raw nerve of my having sublimated it culturally on a cultural level i had the ashucks humility canadian background you know all due respect but <laughs> there is an aspect of some passion or, or you know passive aggressiveness that i definitely mm-hmm. embodied which is you know it's a rite of passage in my mm-hmm. early you know i look back on that and i think great you know if my if i were to be blessed to have a daughter at some point I would be happy to see her being really feisty in her in her teens and twenties, mm-hmm. uh, and then it just it takes a different form. It takes the form of intentionality and service and standing up on behalf of what I believe in, whether it's literally whether it's food or whether it's politics or otherwise. So, um, so in terms of of how it's shifted over the years, I think there's a, there's definitely a, a softness and a resolution on some level. There's more of a pointedness. I'm able to articulate things a lot more easily now. Uh, rather than just in physicalizing it and dramatizing it, I'm able to articulate it and distill some of the more complicated subjects in a way that has been very helpful for my personal life. Um, right. But the fire is still there. You know, It shows up in different ways. It shows mm-hmm. up in, in how I cook and how I dress and how I play sports. It just shows up in different forms. No, damn, girl, the fire is so still there. We just need to, <laughs> I mean, we just need to hear the latest album. And 
And so I want to just jump on that as well, because there's um, a song on that album, and I don't think it's whatever the best seller as a single, but to me, it just, it's like an arrow through the heart, and it's um, receiving. Mm. And I'm just so curious to hear the story of that for you, um, and how that showed up for you, and why you wrote that song. Yeah, I feel like we all, you know, we're sort of set up nurture versus nature, you know, temperamentally, we have certain ways. I'm, I'm a huge fan of any tool of divination or any inquiry tool that can help the self-definition process. So whether it's the Enneagram or whether it's, you know, doing inner bonding per Margaret Hall or whether it's doing, you know, any of these, um, these inquiry journeys as I consider them to be, it, it allows for the self-definition. And, and some would say that, the more self-defined we are, the more certainly the more empowered we are, and, and some would even go as far as to say the more enlightened we are. So I've been obsessed with not only my own process of self-definition and healing, um, but also supporting others in that same journey. So, um, so that having been what it was, I, I think receiving was sort of the last frontier for me. It was like this last vestige of, of what mm-hmm. on some level I needed to nail in order to be in a functional, reciprocal interaction, whether it's with girlfriends or on a professional level or in my marriage, um, because my whole orientation was to serve and to give, and I'm a recovering codependent and a, and a caretaker and a people pleaser, you know, all, all in recovery, ongoing. Um, so, you know, yeah. my, my whole orientation was to give, and, and, and I think women are also built to do that. It's a way of, of procreating and, and surviving the, the species in a way. So yes. I think my, my challenge in a lot of ways was to receive and to stand still and to, you know, and to, and to really embody that yin receptive quality. And it's, it's still a challenge, but my husband's helping with that. My friendships are helping with that. My whole life, you know, my spiritual practice is helping with that, too. Right. I just felt you were speaking for so many women in that song. And for me in particular, it just really struck a chord. Are you a two on the Enneagram? I'm a two, three, four. (laughs) I I had a feeling two of the three wings. emotional. (laughs) Yeah. You know, there's definitely the overachieve, achieve kind of three thing. And then there's the two, which is... And then the two and the four. Yeah, the four is the art kind of dramatizing. Yeah. Um, and what are you? Um, I'm a seven with an eight ah, wing. Okay. I mean, you know, if you are into the split wing theory, um, yep, then I'm, yeah, definitely. you are. Okay. I'm on the edge with that. I have to say, <laughs> you know what I'm basically, my heart is always open to anything that helps the self-definition process and anything right. that we resonate with, I think is a powerful contribution to, to us having a general sense of what our whole ego story is about so that we yeah. can make this lifetime work, you know? Well, and that's really all I'm obsessed with, and I'm not, I'm not yeah. obsessed with us getting it perfectly or getting it right as much as I'm, I'm obsessed with us having it be appropriate to who we were born to be. Exactly, and to actualize that with awareness and consciousness. Yeah, and then also to be gentle with ourselves when we're super checked out and super unconscious, you know, because I'm not always conscious, trust me. Right. I'm sure, it's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I just know you through your lyrics, so it's so easy to project, you know, that you're just sitting around living all of this consciousness day in and day out. So, <laughs> if you ask my husband, he can attest to the fact that there's other versions that show up. But, um, <laughs> but, but I think about those too, right? <laughs> Well, what's interesting about the three is when it integrates, it goes to the six, which is all about community. And you mentioned that that was a little bit of an edge for you, especially with 
women. And I do think that um, you're not alone in speaking that, that women, you know, we have an easy time and a hard time opening up to each other. And I would just love to hear a little bit more about how that edge exists for you. Yeah, I think I'm um, a big fan of Alison Armstrong and her whole investigation oh, yeah. of, of the gender divide slash healing, you know, opportunity that's going on in the world. And um, she just articulates it so gorgeously. So um, so what was your question again? I want to speak to it directly. Well, you know, just the whole, the concept of women really digging into intimacy oh, yeah. with each other. And um, not just keeping the intimacy for our husbands, but actually right. bringing that out into community with women and how that is a little bit of an edge. Like, why is right. that? And Well, on an animal level, you know, way, way basic, basic primordial stuff is, is that, you know, we, we on some level have always felt we have to compete in order to keep the man protecting and providing for us. You know, and Allison would be, I think, high-fiving me mm-hmm. for articulating in that way. And then for us to let our consciousness segue and, and evolve this conversation into what marriage has slowly become an opportunity for, which is this healing and this journey toward wholeness where we alchemically kind of transmute each other into this wholeness evolution journey through committed partnerships. So, so we take into account on some level in this theory that, that we're animals and that women, uh, you know, want to compete against each other to see who, you know, who we will be best protected by and who will stick around for us. So in, inherently it's set up that we want to kill each other and, and compete with each other and win, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so to take that with our consciousness to, to evolve that and smooth that out and to say that this hostility and this envy, which is basically hate, and this competitive drive to to be the most desirable, to be the most protected, to be the most coveted, to be the most provided for, that we don't actually have to live that way now because on a certain level, of course, we can provide for ourselves. But ultimately, if we are seeking union in the heterosexual sense, mm-hmm. uh, that we would, you know, that we would be able to connect with women and be safe amongst our sisters um, in a way that maybe on a on a procreative level wouldn't make sense, right? We, we'd ultimately on a procreative level want to compete with each other so that we'd be protected. Mm-hmm. But then uh, on, a, on an actual consciousness, you know, 2013 level, that there is healing and there is connection and there is tactile touch and nurturance and mothering and sistering and older sistering. And there's so many dynamics within the girl friendship context that is available to us that could be really healing for us and very empowering I mean, you're embodying it by being part of part of this whole <laughs> this whole October situation. Yes. As I call it. This whole October situation that you're creating is 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 an, is an amazing opportunity for women to sort of fall and surrender into this safety and step away from the old version of of women having to compete. I wrote a song called Sister Blister about women needing to you know feeling the need to compete with each other and that we weren't safe together. You know, so over the last couple of years, in particular the more empowered women that I've been surrounded by, the more I feel this softening and like I can lay my head on my girlfriend's laps and that they would pet my head and, and that the next, you know, 10 minutes later we'd be helping each other finish a script or direct something or, or birth something into the world on a huge level. And then, and then we'd snack and and just be women together. So, so for me, it's, it's again, another amazing, amazing part of being alive in this era is that, women are softening with each other because we're getting beyond just that animal survival mode. Exactly. 
Yeah, I'm so on fire with what you're saying. Okay, let's take a different direction here. Your music is powerful. It's, It's fierce. And I'm curious to see where anger falls in your comfort zone. What do you feel when anger comes up for you? How do you feel about anger when it shows up in communication with your intimate relationships? And just in general, how do you feel about anger? I think anger sometimes gets this bad rep because a lot of people equate anger as an emotion with the acting out of anger, you know, which can be really destructive and really scary. You know, but the actual life force of anger can move worlds, it can set boundaries, it can it can birth movements, you know. So I think anger in and of itself is this gorgeous, powerful sort of neutral idea. But sometimes when we're at odds with it, it can it can be really destructive and it can have us act out in a really scary way. So if there's another, you know, if there's another aspect of of all of this that I feel most passionate about, it's to soften the whole idea that anger is this terrible thing. Well, I think that's what you did with Jagged Little Pill. I mean, it just made it okay to yeah. express that. It was sexy. Mm-hmm. It was like anger was sexy and empowering. And it mm-hmm. still and is, it is actually... Right? Yeah, I mean, it is, isn't it? And I also feel like if you withhold your anger, if someone withholds their anger from me, they don't want to be intimate with me, you know? And yeah. so I, I, I agree with what you just said. I think anger is deeply sexy and it's very intimate because when someone can express that they're pissed off at me about something, then the rubber really hits the road for me. I just think, okay, so we're really in the authentic exchange right now. We're not, we're not playing it safe. And... um it's it's really <laughs> it's really exciting, you know. In my in my most intimate relationships, I always get excited and kind of giddy when when anger is expressed. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> which might sound odd, but it, it's true. Well, I like it because it's fresh. Uh, we've, uh, you know, there's this whole movement that ha- was happening at some point, and I really do love nonviolent communication and yeah, Marshall Rosenberg's work. But me there's too. this feeling that it has to be so controlled and it would drive me crazy and I think that the fresh perspective is that anger has a place at the table it can Mm -hmm. actually especially in relationship bring Mm -hmm. a certain polarity back that is Mm -hmm. is healthy Mm -hmm. and um, And I I think the 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 way that Marshall Rosenberg articulated it around nonviolence is precious and and really helpful so you know anger isn't, I don't actually think anger is violent. That's what, you know, right. to, to, to touch on that with you a couple of minutes ago. I, I don't think it's actually violent. I think that the, sometimes the actings out of anger can be violent, and that's where it gets dangerous. But the actual anger, the impetus, and that core angry feeling is, is so beautiful. You know, yes. it's, it's authentic, and it's got a lot of power behind it. And it may have been Gangaji or somebody who said that, Anger and love are the two hugest life forces that can move everything, you know. And oh, I, really I love do. that. I just was like, yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's just interesting to bring it back into Marshall's work. I do think anger is an attempt to express a very deep need. Mm-hmm. And if yeah, we there's, there's treat there. Yeah, and if we treat it that way, then and let it express itself. I'm sure that that needs gonna come out. <laughs> yeah, and that, I mean that's what's so fun in my marriage too is that whenever we're feisty with each other, and and certainly we are, it's it's just about okay, can, can we just get directly to what the request is in here? Because there's a request in here, and pretty much anything you want from me, I want to give you. And right, that's just the truth. So. <laughs> 
what's the request? Just tell me my marching orders and you got it. <laughs> you know, even if it's really odd and out of my wheelhouse, I just want to give it to my husband, you know. So, right. um, so yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, okay, I think this was super full, and I have one more question for you to wrap, and this is a question we're asking all the people participating in our podcast. And if you had one piece of advice for women who are on the precipice or in the beginning, early stages of their emergence, what would it be? Ooh, it's tough to give one. (laughs) It's tough to give one to everybody. (laughs) Alanis, for you, you can give two. (laughs) Um, no, but what I mean is, is yeah. you know, for one woman, their particular growth challenge would be to say no. And for mm-hmm. another woman, it would be to cry, you know. And mm-hmm. for another woman, it would be to let someone actually put their hand on your shoulder. And another woman, it would be, it's okay to hate your mother or it's okay to forgive your mother or, mm-hmm. you know, so... Unfortunately, I don't even think I have an answer. It would be it's such a case by case thing. Well, let's let's take it beyond that. Let's say the okay. healing, the personal healing has been done. That's and that's so usually fun. well because Have I, you it, met anyone who's done that? Well, <laughs> it, it, what I'm saying is it's not okay, the personal healing's never totally done, but okay. there's there's an energy in emerging where you've you've had a series of holy shit moments and you're starting okay. to piece together a connection and an intimacy with yourself mm-hmm. that creates a fire like no other. It's yeah. you can't hold yourself back. You're so completely aligned. You're still discovering, but mm-hmm. you're launching in a way from a very deep place of connectedness. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean by emerging. Okay, so, we, are yeah. you surrounded by women who are doing this? I'm so excited. <laughs> this is exciting. Well, um, I mean, I I feel yeah, I feel like a lot of women are. Um, this is happening, and I feel like yeah. it's that's the result of the feminine, just in general, on a cosmic mm-hmm. level, rising. Mm-hmm. There is more self intimacy and more self aligned. A lot of women are stopping the compromising, for instance, mm-hmm. and yes. making courageous choices to, mm-hmm. you know, make decisions whether it be, you know, I'm getting divorced or I'm getting married or I'm you know, now I'm going to be developing relationships with women where I never had, you know, whatever it is, I'm changing career. So there is a phenomenon, there is a movement happening. But it takes a lot of courage. And I feel that you, you, we have many emergences in our lives. It's not just one time, you know, but that point at which you've made that decision not to compromise and you feel so aligned with who you are, even though you don't have the total picture just yet. That's what I mean by emerging. And, okay, great. Thank yeah. you for defining it so stunningly. Um, <laughs> no, really. Because um, sometimes I feel like that's, that's what helps, too, is, is for people to articulate what this means. What does empowerment mean? What does emerging mean? What is yeah. the divine feminine resurrecting even mean? You know? right. so, thank you, so thank you for doing that. I think the more we all do that with each other, the more exciting it can be to, to articulate with what's possible. You know? Yes. Um, so I think I think if anything, um, it would be to to trust your essential self, like what what has been born from this self definition process, um, is to trust is to trust the messages, you know, trust what you hear in those silences, trust uh, trust the uh, the nudges of of where to go next, you know. I would you know that that's definitely what my invitation is every day is to trust that if I don't feel like I want to live there or move there or sign this contract or 
or commit to that person, then I'm just going to trust that with mm-hmm. my whole soul. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. This was lovely. And I think now, well, thank you very much. Thank you so much. I don't know what to <laughs> say. To I'm so grateful. Uh, yeah. <laughs>